my name is Bob Smith. I'm uh, your moderator for this flight uh, this morning or afternoon, depending upon where you are in the world. And we have a well-thought-through effort to consider the big topic of ontology applications and emergency response. And what I'd like to do is just uh, take a few moments and give a bit of background. Uh, why are we here and what are the expectations? Um, I believe my expectations anyway are that this is a very large uh, area that's ripe today and that uh, I think the panelists provide both a breadth and depth of experience in the domain as well as in the ontology areas and standard development. So I think we can uh, tackle this problem of emergency response that we've defined as a real significant problem in information exchange among and between multiple levels demanding extremely fast as well as extremely accurate performance during crisis and all the necessary preparations for that. We've asked four questions. Uh, three of them are well-formed, and the last needs a little polishing that illustrate uh, our concern. Uh, what I plan to do is to uh, ask the question, why should we be concerned with ontology emergency response systems now? <clears throat> and the simple answer is we've got a lull before the big one hits. And as you experience any panic in your uh, life so far, you know how hard it is to pay real attention and do effective situational assessment when you're up to your proverbial hips in uh, the alligator swamp in a rainstorm with lightning striking uh, here and there. It's, it's very difficult and having prepared sufficiently uh, improves everybody's chance of uh, success and more important survival. In addition, uh, just six weeks ago, the President of the U.S. signed Senate Bill 3678, the Pandemic and All Hazards legislation. What that really means, we're not clear. Uh, they've got some strong deadlines that are 18 months, 24 months, 6 months out, but there is a multi-billion uh, amount of funds that are targeted and some strong organizational changes. So it bodes well. In addition, we have the Upper Ontology or the Ontology Summit. We're trying to categorize ontologies, such as we hope to uh, create and enhance as a result of this first session and subsequent sessions. In that regard, we certainly hope that the audience uh, will find an interest and then take an active participation in our efforts to build effective ontology applications in this area called emergency response systems. 
Uh, one last question or, or topic uh, before we move on to the panel is why is the analog forum involved in this anyway? Uh, two years ago, uh, several of us, almost all of us on the analog forum then, uh, drafted a response to Dr. Brailer, the ONC Office of National Coordinator, a plan for the design and development and testing of the National Health Information Network and the associated data requirements, electronic health records that were intended to flow in that network. And our main position was, gee, Dr. Brailer, you really, really, really need to consider ontologies and the robustness that such a uh, service will provide both in terms of evaluating the hundreds and hundreds of responses you got, but then moving forward. We're not sure how effective our plea was, but we have had some feedback. We were reasonably successful. Um, so at this point, um, I'd like to uh, introduce Rex Brooks on his topic, Emergency Response Management Systems Compared to Emergency Response Systems Management. Rex? Thanks for the introduction, Bob. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to start off with is I want to, you know, be clear what I'm not doing and what we're not doing. And what we're not doing is decomposing emergency response management um, from preparations to incident to remediation. Uh, you'll you'll find that this is mentioned, but um, we're, we're really not focusing on that. We think that's for another day and that this, like other efforts, will probably evolve into a series of, uh, of such events. Um, we're introducing the subject in key areas where ontology can make a critical positive contribution. And the word critical here is key, and we'll be returning to that a number of times, or I will be. We're taking advantage of this breather, as Bob said, or the lull before the next disaster strikes to draw attention to some problem areas. Like always, I follow my inner child, and I always like to start with dessert. And my, my um, conclusion from my area of expertise in standards development is that a good workable ontology of specification processes is what's needed. It's one of the things that's needed. That way we can compare and contrast how standards are developed in different ways in various places and make a better choice about what is best, what's the critical path for a given subject area. If we can move on to slide two, please. Um, I call this view from the SDO trenches, the Standards Development Organization trenches. I'm a member of OASIS, the Organization for the Advancement of Structured Information Standards. I'm particularly in the Emergency Management Technical Committee in regard to this particular ontolog uh, session. And this uh, information um, encapsulates a few developments of uh, some of the work that we've done. Uh, this goes back to 2003 with CAP, the Common Alerting Protocol, and this was uh, passed off to the technical committee from the Partnership for Public Warning, and it was begun after 9-11. Uh, 
some of the lessons that are worth learning from this experience are that uh, if you have a group of interrelated parties or organizations with strong interest in an area, it is possible for them to evolve into an effective system for standards development. I mention this because we ran into a certain number of incompatibilities between uh, the Common Alerting Protocol and the Department of Justice Global Justice XML Data Model, and um, this was a very uh, minor, as it turned out, uh, incompatibility, but it caused a bit of a kerfuffle. And from that kerfuffle, a practitioner group from the Department of Justice, the Department of Homeland Security, uh, evolved a memorandum of understanding with the Department of DHS, or the Department of Homeland Security and the Emergency Interoperability Consortium. And those are the groups that are involved in uh, the subject matter expert group that sent us uh, the original uh, emergency data exchange language distribution element specification. If we can move on to slide three. Uh, in this particular case, um, one of the things that we want to point out is that it does take patience and perseverance. You have to get through some of, some of these misunderstandings in order to discover what it is you need to do when you're working together. EDXL evolved out of this group. You know, and sometimes an unintentional evolution can teach us important things, but it's only going to teach us these things if we're willing to listen to each other. So there were some misconceptions, but because we were doing something like this for the first time, uh, we did not assume that we already knew everything. So we were able to, um, to do this work together. And so as it turned out, there were a number of things that we learned. And one of those was that having a, a, a subject matter expert group uh, give us a complete standard, candidate standard, instead of giving us requirements was not necessarily the best way to do it. And so in our first uh, effort with EDXL in the distribution element, we went through a number of iterations that caused quite a bit of learning, which is to say there were problems. Uh, if we move on to the fourth slide, please. What we learned is that it's easy to lose track of the overall specification when you're focused on details. We would drill through one issue, make a change in the data dictionary or the schema or a diagram, but we wouldn't immediately reflect that in the other uh, parts of the specification. And that happened largely because the effort to make the decision took up most of our uh, energy for a given session, and so it's typical that people think, boy, we, we figured that one out, we did that, that was great. But if you don't actually change everything that needs to be changed, you'll, for, you'll lose track. And what happened was that we came back and discovered that we had discrepancies. And the upshot of this was that when the next specification came along, which we're currently working on, the EDXL resource messaging specification, and it was again given to us as a specification rather than as uh, a set of requirements, what we did was we asked that it be recast as a set of requirements, and we even gave the um, subject matter experts group a uh, requirements document template in order to make sure that they understood what we were asking for. 
And it turns out that this, we're still working on this specification, but it turns out that having this requirements document is an excellent idea because it gives us a way to go back and double check that we're actually doing what we set out to do. One of the things that we're learning as we're going through this second um, specification in this group is that we also need to have a reference information model, which is a cut below a reference information model, such as the service-oriented architecture or SOA reference model that the OASIS SOA reference model technical committee produced. That's a, it's a cut below that in terms of abstraction, so it's more concrete than that, but it needs to be more abstract than a document object model, for instance, which is what we produced or what we used to produce the diagram, the non-normative diagram, and the distribution element specification. If we could go on to the next slide, please. Well, we learned a lot of lessons, and one of the things that we're, we're learning is that if we do produce this rim, it's a lot more along the lines of an ontology than it is along the lines of a specification as it's been known before. But we want to have an EDXL rim that sits above the, um, the, the specific specifications, the distribution element specification, the resource messaging specification. And as it happens, the next specification that we're going to be tackling is going to be one or another flavor of situational awareness, which we'll be talking about later in other presentations. And while this is a, uh, this is a great idea, it's not exactly as if the world is ready for it yet. Standards world is still not fully XML aligned, let alone is it ready to accept an RDF OWL, let alone an OWL description logic based representation. So we're probably going to have a little resistance along the way towards getting this accepted, but we're willing to do that. Uh, we don't know when we'll start on it. We may start on it before we do the, the next specification or not. Depends on when we get done with the resource messaging specification. Since this is being done in the technical committee subcommittee that I co-chair. It's one of those things that I stay on top of. Now, in terms of beginning to move towards an OWL, one of the reasons for this is that this kind of overarching ontology informs the consistency of the individual specifications. Now, having already done one and finishing up a second one, it seem, may seem a little bit like, well, shouldn't we have done that first? And as it turns out, in retrospect, maybe we should have, but we didn't. We had not yet learned the lessons that we've now learned. So hopefully we'll be able to go back and, and apply all of these lessons as we build this thing and build a reference information model. And hopefully we'll begin to get the world ready for accepting an ontology as a specification, as a standard. So if we can move to the next slide, please. The reason for this... Uh, for having the standard is because in um, in the world of ERMS versus ERSM or emergency response management systems versus emergency response systems management, we have a number of things. Uh, have we moved to slide six yet? There we go. Uh, this gives you a table of some of the differences, and it's important because 
this is sort of the crux of where we need to be on a critical path because uh, one of the places where we know that we have some problems in real-life situations is in managing jurisdictions because an emergency response management system tends to be your local fire police, your office of emergency services, and its focus is local. But in order for a regional, statewide, or national uh, jurisdiction to be able to effectively cope with the larger picture, we need to have the emergency response systems management angle at the same time. These are a long way from being fully integrated or coordinated at this point. So these are some of the areas where we I wanted to draw the differences, where you can see what the incident responsibility command structure, the use of standards. One of the reasons for the use of standards is that that way when one system talks to the other system, they both know what they're talking about and you can get automated communication, especially in web services. We need to be able to coordinate logistics and we need to be able to coordinate the duration of services. So these are the things that we're looking for improving in the future. And if we can move on to our last slide. I want to focus now on the critical path for improving ERSM versus ERMS, and that's obviously in the area of coordination and collaboration. We do have progress underway, and there is a lot more that's needed, especially in many areas where ontological tools and resources can be applied. The previous uh, slide showed us the areas where these things are needed, and they're needed now. We also have an opportunity now when these things can actually, they're, they're sort of plastic and influenceable. We can actually have an effect if we can get the resources applied here. So, um, you know, my, my short list is an ontology of specification processes because I think that in the future one of the things we want to do is we want to start from use cases that then proceed to requirements and then to a specification so that you have a, uh, the complete spectrum of the things that are involved in a, uh, developing a standard. An ontology of ER systems, as I said, we're not decomposing them, but there are ER systems that need to be dealing with the preparation, the incident, and then the remediation. But one of the things that we need to understand is that a critical path is a stepwise process. That doesn't necessarily mean it's linear. You can have steps that happen simultaneously or in, in, a, in a sense backwards if you, if you think about it. But any step is critical if without that step the objective cannot be achieved. So that's what a critical path is. And in order to, to identify that critical path, it's necessary for us to identify the fail points, the places where things can fail. Is not something that's optional. We have to be able to do that. And because that's negative, it's something that people don't like to do and they don't like to do in public and they don't like to, you know, give speeches about it, but it's where the rubber hits the road. So an ontology of emergency response fail points is required. And that's where I wanted to end. I wanted to end with something that's, you know, something that people can get hold of and start using as soon as they want to. And if there are any questions that you need clarification on right now, I'll be happy to take them. Otherwise, it would be best to hold them off till the end of the, the, end of the session. Bob, it's back to you. Thank you, Rex. Um, 
Are there any questions that you can see, Peter? Any hands raised? No. Uh, nobody has raised their hands so far. Uh, maybe we might... Uh, so I'll go on mute. Thank you, Peter, and thank you very much, Rex. Can everybody hear me? Good. I'd like to extend Rex's uh, description of the trenches and the critical path failure analysis um, by looking at the role of decision support ontologies for implementing effective solutions to all hazard danger zones. And um, I guess we need to see the, uh, the screen. One moment. Bring it up. Yep. Okay. And there you see it in glorious black and white. The um, third line, the role of on the role of decision supporting ontologies for implementing effective solutions to all hazard danger zones. Well, that's a mouthful. Uh, to ground this in a little bit of reality, now take a quick look around you. You're right in the middle, right smack in the middle of a hazard zone, a danger zone, that's likely to be unmarked, unidentified, but could become extremely uh, dangerous to your life, health, liberty, and uh, everything else we hold important in terms of the dependencies of the infrastructure that we all depend upon in our homes, in our cars, and the fact that there's a task logic of sequence of providing effective protection for these uh, unknown, unidentified hazards that you yourself may not know of. Can we go to the second zone? The second, <laughs> second slide. Second slide, Peter, please. Okay, one moment. Thank you. Uh, I have a couple of premises and a couple of promises and a conclusion. My uh, first premise is that uh, you've had a chance to read and uh, grapple with the problem that we identified, the lack of information exchange and a need for an extreme rethinking about the categories and the assumptions that we make in emergency response systems, and those systems need to be more effectively organized and uh, supported. That the problem that we see is essentially 
a situational awareness sea change to improve the way information and knowledge exchange flows and its use of that timely information and knowledge in situations like we were describing earlier of pure panic and having the capabilities of uh, social uh, order, political order, and uh, psychological readiness to cope effectively by both the first responders, the second responders, and the individuals who uh, comprise everybody, uh, the citizens. There's a window of opportunity, and we need great conceptual clarity about how the existing domains have evolved and the kinds of hazards, kinds of categories for budgeting, the preparation, and preparedness. And we've got the promise that we can start redefining decision support systems as a decision supporting ontology, and we can build a research funding knowledge base that would allow uh, opportunities for research funding to be anticipated and to be uh, rapidly addressed and proposed. Uh, the all hazards concept assumes some digital uh, components which can be used across all types of emergencies and threats. My conclusions, uh, having looked for uh, about four months into the current categories, and I'll uh, shortly describe the methodology, there's actually no ontology applications per se other than some promising activity and situational awareness, and Ken will expand significantly on those. Uh, there are high potential applications for migrating the 230-plus specific bioterrorism and emergency response applications that we've identified in inventories. And finally, there's a stimulus for building prior applications that are now legislated by SB 3678. Next slide, please, Peter. Going back to those danger zones, the uh, referent, as Warner Crusters so effectively described several weeks ago, there's uh, parts of um, these danger zones unmarked and hidden, but they are digitized increasingly by GIS systems at at least six levels. The OMB GIS initiatives um, look very, very promising. Many of them are being used. Other federal agencies, state agencies, regional agencies, such as the Denver effort, municipal agencies, such as the city I live in, Huntington Beach, has a very active uh, GIS department. And the unfortunate thing is they do not talk to the planning department or public works department, and they only talk briefly to the CERT community. 
So uh, private agencies like RSA sell hazard information to insurance uh, corporations and effectively predict, uh, for a price, they predict the likelihood of over a dozen types of uh, hazards occurring in very specific identified danger zones for purposes of setting the price. Um, next slide, please. So to deal effectively, effectively with these uh, danger zones that we all live in, uh, I'm suggesting uh, we re-engineer and redefine decision support systems by combining it with ontology at uh, the categorical level, the rules, the relationships between the concepts and the rules, and clarity in how we use the terms, particularly in budgeting, resource assessment, and evaluation. Um, DSO is much more than a decision support system and that attempts to balance not only the engineering, but the broader area of ontology management. While there's been quite a few papers on ontology management, uh, it's not essentially focused upon the project and the customer. It's more internal uh, regarding the programmers, the schedules, and the specifications. I think the user and the context and the application of resources and first and foremost the getting of attention of the key decision makers um, with the appropriate message is too often ignored. Uh, we need to rethink ontology teams and how we can look at the specialized methods that various skill sets now come with in terms of uh, our existing standards, the W3C, OMG, OASIS, etc. I think a rethinking of the roles of ontology engineers, ontology management, ontology liaison uh, between project areas uh, and also, the SOA platform capabilities, and we shouldn't forget the role of XML wizards to essentially redefine ESS positions and functions. This takes us again into the critical path analysis, looking at task logic dependencies. As Rex was stating, there's a, obviously a sequence that needs to be followed that forms the critical path. Next page, please. We use an approach that has evolved and is still as many new efforts uh, evolving as we stumble. Um, we took a line from the Faxel Fasales project that is still ongoing. It basically collect existing documents and categorize those terms used to characterize the applications, the kinds of problems 
sources of funding and ignored the opportunities to do policy gap analysis and process improvements. And so after we uh, felt comfortable that we had collected appropriate levels and types of documents, we got lots of material and insight from the analog forum, the GAO, Office of Management and Budget, Human Health Services, Homeland Security, UNW3C and OASIS. We use basically uh, a methodology, as I said, the tax office project, and two uh, existing and uh, available uh, tools, KVM Architecture and the SimTalk Process Management Tool. Uh, both of these play well with um, a, as a suite with many other tools. In addition, um, we can, once building a reasonable and validated verifiable network of the response and the planning of the response and the funding of the planning of the response to emergency uh, events, uh, simulate using a PetriNet approach you know, how much time and how long and where things need to uh, be accomplished. In the background, of course, is the knowledge that there's a critical hour or the golden hour between somebody's uh, serious injury and effective survival. We found lots and lots of issues exposed by prior analog sessions, especially Alan Richter, Chris Shute, Barry Smith, Yorkshire, Leo Orfs, Peter Yam, Laura Christers, Dwayne Nichol, Con Kurt Conrad, Eliza Kendall, and many, many others. And looking forward to the point in Analog's history where the Tax of Mazaris project results in much more effective search on concepts, terms, relationships between the body, the collection, and the analog form. Next page, please. We defined a, uh, some obvious uh, terms and some not so obvious terms in terms of formality, formality and maturity. This is subjective. Uh, the concentration on number five, emergency response systems, emergency response systems management domains have integration potentials. And lots of uh, question marks after that. The next slide, please, Peter. As an example of this landscape modeling and eventually a simulation tool, uh, we have a uh, rough flow of the process uh, up in the upper left-hand column, or upper left-hand section, the all-threats ontology yet to be built, a set of rules, a sensor, uh, OBEX, OPEX uh, compatible, hopefully, Toby. Um, some biological agent 
creates a danger. Uh, the patient gets sick, seeks help. There's a set of uh, working rules and dispatch to a clinic, physician, hospital, ER. And again, lots of rules that are now because of the progress of the business process. Modeling notation has received at OMG. Um, getting a lot more effective ways of connecting uh, all of these important parts together as a modeling tool. And uh, let's move to the next slide, please. Lots and lots of work. Um, there are areas that Rex has identified. There's areas that I have here, Michelle and Ken. Uh, my concern is the rules and rules for rulemaking. And part of that gets into specifications. It would be great to consider an all threats uh, knowledge base and a service-oriented architecture repository pilot test and some effective liaisons between uh, many of the individuals and organizations that are currently represented directly and indirectly on the slide I just had prior, uh, part one of three parts, relative to the funding, the budgeting, the consequences. And uh, I'll accept questions, or we can wait until uh, the other two presenters have presented. Okay, I'd like to introduce Michelle from the Honeywell organization with an extensive experience in uh, both the practical and the standards development. Uh, she's a principal research scientist in knowledge services. And uh, are you ready to go, Michelle? I believe so. I do not have um, the virtual screen in front of me, so I'll be real clear on when I would like slides advanced because I, I will not I see. Also, mention the slide number. That would be best. I, I will do that. Absolutely. All right. So on slide one, the title slide, the ontology silos and emergency response management system. What I had hoped to speak about today was that there are many sectors, silos, domains, we've got lots of terms even for those, uh, out there that do have terminology, vocabulary, taxonomy, ontology. Once again, we've got lots of terms for these things. And they already have been working for many, many years to work with either in their communities or within businesses who support those communities to come up with language structures that work for them. And we can't, permit, we can't forget that. Um, when we create an interoperable situation, or an interoperability for uh, situational understanding, the people who are in that situation may not be experts in all of those silos, domain sectors. So 
so they're not going to understand the structure of those languages coming in at them simultaneously. They're going to have to do a lot of mental manipulation, which costs time in an emergency. So the goal here is to, let's move to slide number two, please. Slide two, improving emergency response. The goal here is threefold. We need to send the information to the right places. We need to give them what they need in the situation. Remember, we're talking emergency response now, not um, long-term analysis. They need the data now, and they need to act on it now. And so we need to get the information from the right places. And third, we need to keep it moving. We need to keep that information flow happening. And so it needs to go through the right places. When I look at this, I think of the, the to the right places being the people who are doing emergency response or the public who is being impacted by the emergency, and they may be able to help in mitigation simply by staying out of the way, um, getting into an enclosed building. So we need to get it to the right people. When I say give them what they need, uh, don't give them all of the weather information. Just tell them when that chemical plume is going to get to them. When I say keep it moving, and this is where I'm bringing in systems and sensors. And this is where we want the information to not just be passed around uh, through emergency channels, but also to get to the support systems that can be doing some of the analysis while people are out actually dealing with the emergency. These can be the decision support systems that can help them make faster, better decisions. So keep that information moving, and as it grows into a knowledge base, um, send that back through the, the steps, alerting them when they need it, and keep it moving. So the takeaway I'm going to give right up front, just as Rex did, the fundamental goal here is to improve the actions that are taken, not just to increase information flowing among organizations. We enjoy ontology work. Um, we like to have lots of verbiage, uh, but we're the technical community sometimes. When we're on, out in the trenches fighting an emergency, the goal is to improve the decision-making and improve the actions that are taken. And that, that quote comes from testimony before the House Government Reform Committee from a report done by the uh, RAND Corporation. Next slide, slide number three, please. This is the area of emergency response alerting. Now I'm going to get into some of the issues that we are currently battling to have interoperability. And one of the areas is in the alerting. Alerting is something that since, since the advent of the web and then since the proliferation of cell phones and Blackberries and uh, other communication devices, people have wanted to be informed about 
the weather, um, whether the child made it to school, uh, what's their traffic route home, and if they're in the emergency services, they may also have their pagers and other devices. So we've got quite a number of systems that are already out there. And as most of you know, those are not going to just die overnight and be miraculously replaced with something that fits our definition of interoperability. So right now, we have a lot of legacy systems. They're not going to get replaced overnight, if at all. We need to have a framework to be able to bring them into the picture, even if they aren't going to be fully integrated into interoperability. I'm dividing the two terms up, integration and interoperability. Integration means it will be compatible with the system and be able to provide information to emergency management systems. Interoperable means that it will also be able to get information back from it, do some processing, and be able to continue with other systems. So if I'm working in one domain and the um, terminology I'm using is really structured to my domain, I may only be able to become integrated and have right at the top, this is coming from the domain of um, uh, transportation. And when I use, I really like the example of, of the word tank. Uh, if you picture in your mind now what, what a tank is. Now, I just used the term transportation, so maybe some of you are thinking of, of the gas tank in your car. Maybe some of you are thinking of a tanker car. Some of you are thinking military, the, the, the tank that is actually a vehicle. And maybe a few of you are, are thinking of an aquarium with a fish tank. Now, we can't just go out and say tank and have everyone understand what that means. So if this is coming from a legacy system, and the legacy system is for transportation, they may have a very specific definition of tank. And when we bring that in, we can only integrate it by saying we're tagging it with the domain it came from. So you have to view it for situational awareness within the context of where the information came, not necessarily the context solely of the situation you're currently in. This is definitely a barrier for uh, rapid response and we want to move past that to the term interoperability, where if tank is going to be a word, uh, which my personal opinion is we're going to have to come up with three different words if we have three different conceptual terms, or we're going to have to, I should better say, three different representations. One of the things that is being bantered around now is that a representation from an ontology need not only be verbal words, um, text. It may be an image. It may be an icon. Um, down the road, it may be tactile. Uh, we need to really think outside of the box. Uh, one of the other presenters said that this is the time to be able to bring this all together. And I think as we bring it together, we need to have a process to get from the legacy systems to a, a wondrous um, 
joined ontology, but we need to be reasonable and think outside the box. So with that, I'm going to uh, close on the barriers to the interoperability with, um, uh, let's see, apologize here. Um, oh, even in systems that currently are integrated, they are only integrated within a small set of systems. Uh, this is shown even with our, our current systems within the government as far as national weather, and, and I think one of the biggest ones is GIS. When we're looking at glo uh, geospatial information, the number of ways that we represent that information, not just within the U.S., but uh, internationally, uh, just it, it's getting out of hand, and we need to, to really start to look at not just how do we create translations, but how do we come up with a common language? So the process toward interoperability for these domain-specific alerting systems is that we need to keep the context. And we move toward a common language constraint so that they only use the vocabulary that is known in common. We go to integration of the domain concepts and then we move toward interoperability of the domain concepts. And then I think that kind of covers also the, um, I'm going to skip over methods for the integration. Within the emergency response alerting, this is where we've, we've done work within the common alerting protocol, which is one of the standards out of the Emergency Management Technical Committee of OASIS. Uh, I would very much recommend that people look at their domain ontologies that are being used to create the alerts. And if, if your alerting system is not ontology-based, I would also recommend adding that. Uh, to bring that to the common alerting protocol and put it in that format for common distribution. Uh, to partition the alert by domain, we need to be able to keep the context. And to personalize alerting, we really need to go even further. And this is where I believe some of the work that Ken is doing and uh, some of the work that's um, um, out there in the, the networking um, and the Bayesian belief structure, what would be appropriate for a given individual or organization or domain can be mocked up within a Bayesian belief structure. And we may want to do that uh, within our alerting. The way to think of this is alerting is just a very specific form of targeted marketing. And there's a lot of work going on right now in being able to do targeted marketing. For example, when you walk by a specific store, eventually with the wireless network, your PDA is going to give you the ad for that store. And if they know even more, they may know your, your, your hat size, and they may say, oh, we have a very specific hat that's in your size. Um, we want to be able to get to that point eventually for alerting so that the information is very pertinent to the individual or organization that is acting on the information. Next slide, please. This will be slide number four. 
Now, I've used the word information, or the term information sharing and collaboration, which unfortunately um, spells out to ISAC. And I want to stress that most of the time when you see under these examples ISAC, that actually means information sharing and an analysis center. So it is the place, the location, and the system for doing information sharing and collaboration. Um, I probably should have used a different term, and I'm, I, I consider that after I'd already submitted my slides. But in the sector-based examples, these sectors were formed by the Department of Homeland Security. Um, they're the critical infrastructure sectors that need to be protected from threat of terrorism. Now, these facilities are also potentially in the way of the next tsunami, the next tornadoes, uh, know, hurricanes, or accidents happen. So I think that um, Homeland Security is really giving us a, a, a real boost in the emergency response community by having the focus, at, by bringing money to, to look at terrorist attacks because it can become so applicable across all kinds of incidents. But these organizations were specifically set up with the concept of threat in mind. I'm just going to uh, comment on a couple of them. These are just a tiny subset of the, of the sector ISACs that are out there. Uh, in the, in the sector-based ones, one I wanted to note was uh, the Food Marketing Institute, Food and Agricultural ISAC. Within their information sharing and analysis center, center one of their objectives includes, in the event of attack, providing a means for a coordinated industry-wide response to limit effects and enable the food system to recover as rapidly as possible. And they are starting to set up systems for doing that. There are also systems that are being set up for, in, as you can imagine, most of them um, the most advanced ones are in the information technology ISAC, where they've actually created their own threat level system. So we can no longer just use the, the um, you know, green, blue, uh, what is it, uh, yellow, orange, red um, from DHS. If we're talking with people in the information technology community, they have uh, a separate threat level system. And that needs to be taken into account, and that definitely belongs within the ontology. They also provide websites and automated services for alerts, incident switching um, services, so uh, that, that if part of a network goes down, they can do some support from other networks that normally would not, uh, normally they'd be adversaries in business, but here they would be in a cooperative. The same thing with the service transportation. They are actively collecting information from worldwide resources and then providing that to the analysis center, which then sends it on to the participants, 
What's unique about what they're doing is that they have both anonymous and attributable sharing of incident information. So this allows for some of that uh, uh, risk concern about a, a particular business saying, oops, we did something that, that was bad for the environment and um, it needs to be known now, but we don't want that the, the main media focus <laughs> and that we, they don't want that to be their PR. And that is something that's been a real issue is to, to get businesses to participate. The other side of the ISAF picture is regionally based. Um, I'm a member of the Minnesota ISAC here. Um, I'm, in, I'm out of Minneapolis. And within our charter, we want to create an interface structure by which information sharing and coordination between the critical infra infrastructure organizations and the officials at all levels can, can be facilitated during an emergency. They are looking at uh, the CAP and the EDXL, um, the emergency data exchange language distribution element, uh, as, as a method for doing that. They're also looking at a couple of other systems. Uh, one of them that I, I particularly felt uh, was was uh, cutting, cutting edge is New Jersey's business force. Within their initiatives, they have asset availability, business volunteers, uh, medical preparedness, and then information sharing. Under that one, they have actually created a NC4 development for their members to be able to get information about um, what's going on during incidents. Okay, next slide. I, actually, I've covered this slide and I've covered slide number five, so could we please move to slide number six. This is titled Information Sharing Issues. The three main ways, I think, to put um, the issues for information sharing and thus the building of the underlying ontology to facilitate information sharing is that we have uh, disparate semantic meaning. There are many ways that people can interpret information based on their background, based on their domain experience, based, based on their life experience. There is much disparate syntactic representation where just the, just the sentence structure of something um, won't show up on some computer systems as being the same information as a slightly different sentence structure that really contains almost identical words. Now, a lot of systems have improved since then, but that still exists as an issue. And then finally, the formatting of the information. And this, this brings me to what's uh, kind of one of my personal passions is the, uh, the way that we present information. There are so many ways to do that, and sometimes the best way is not an audio message. It's not a long string of text. We need to look at other options, maps, graphics, uh, tactile cues, sounds. Uh, we, we need to look at the full, full picture and include that 
and those representations in our ontology. Next slide, please. Slide number seven. Sharing proprietary data and services. This I've already uh, brought up, but I want to talk a little bit now about uh, the how do we do something positive and move forward. So I'm going to pull from OBIX um, to answer this. There are several issues out there. This is just a small subset. There's the security of the data. Why would I want to share my information if I'm afraid that you're going to get at the rest of my information? Or worse yet, if I'm a petrochemical plant and I want to give you information about uh, what, what trains have come through and um, the timing on those, but I realize you may be able to get into my system and actually start a reactor or something, I'm going to be very frightened of integrating and certainly of trying to put something into an interoperable format. So we need to address the issue of the security of the data. Right now, simply using the EDXL distribution element, within the distribution element, you can put who, there are two, two components. One is, who is this message intended for who did it come from, and then the payload portion of it, what is the content of the message that needs to go out. And within that, you can put multiple payloads. Some of that can be encrypted. So that petrochemical plant might send out two different payloads within the distribution element, one that can go to the public um, emergency response provide, providers at the command center to give them an indication of exactly how much flammable material is on their site at that time, whereas the other one may contain um, a proprietary format that has that same type of information plus additional information about accessing the system. So someone remotely who's an expert in the area may, with the proper authentication, get into that system. So we need to address that issue of security. Uh, OBIX is adding a layer in that area. Right now, I would say um, it facilitates the use of other good security systems, and, and that this, at security is still going to remain the responsibility of the domain themselves. Selective data sharing, as I was saying, they may want to provide you the information of of how much flammable material is available on their site, um, but they do not want to necessarily provide you information about their current financial records. That's not important to the emergency. So we need to have a way to have a full ontology within a domain that they can use it for all of their needs, but it will be segmented specifically for emergencies, and that can be done with, with certain tagging mechanisms and within the ontology, uh, giving them certain relationships within the information. Uh, I'm not going to talk specifically about the transport layers now. That's uh, a little too complex here. Uh, we're going to talk just briefly about melding the data into a common operational picture, and I think this is one of the critical takeaways is when you 
send the information out, it needs to be describing the same situation to all of the people. By common operational picture, I do not mean that if I looked at a screen and you looked at a screen and we came from different backgrounds, we would do the same thing. Um, we would get the information that's important to us, but it would be from the common operational view. We would get the full information, but it would be tailored to us, okay? I'm going to wrap up here. Let's go to slide uh, number eight. So here is the, the takeaway. Ontology interoperability. There, the, the real thing that needs to happen here is that information must flow smoothly through the entire process. And I've broken that out a little bit further than the, the common one. We need it through the detection, the awareness, the response, mitigation, and recovery. And that's for all involved parties, not just the emergency responders, so that everyone can best respond. And the three things that I would stress is that you need to get the message, not just receive it, get it, understand it. So that's to the right places in the right presentation. Just in time information, it needs to be from the right places and fit the situation. And then finally, using our decision support systems and using the, any um, asset tracking, any, um, uh, any, any of our, our support systems, we build knowledge, we use knowledge, and so that's through the right places to support decision making. So thank you. And if there are questions, I can entertain them now. Um, otherwise, we need to move on to Ken. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Okay, I'm going to be talking about the situation awareness concept. Uh, there are a number of inputs to this um, that uh, come from a number of rather different communities. The, um, the first one that I list there is human situation awareness. This is basically uh, psychology and uh, um, human computer interaction. There is a, uh, a model for this that was developed by Ensley and others um, that try to characterize what it means for a person to grasp a situation and how that person achieves this situation awareness. The application this kind of uh, concept is in um, the uh, development of human computer interfaces, in uh, development of control panels, things like that, in order to uh, give information to an individual so that they can re respond rapidly to a situation. Um, from a theoretical standpoint, uh, from looking at it as, as, as a logical problem, uh, situation semantics was first developed in a uh, extensively by Barwise and subsequently developed by many others. And in fact, in this series in October, Pat Hayes gave a uh, talk where he, uh, he discussed a um, form of logic, an extension of common logic called ICL or IKL, which is in that same, that same vein. It's a, a very, he's done some very interesting work that could have an impact on uh, 
the theoretical basis for situation, uh, situation semantics and situation awareness. Uh, then there is a, um, the JDL model I'll talk about, on the, I guess, on the next slide. It, that comes from the Joint Defense Laboratories that uh, deals with the problem of information fusion. Uh, they, have to they have to grapple with the problem of highly uncertain information coming from sources that are not necessarily very reliable and they would like to meld or fuse or combine this information in, into, a, uh, into a situation and then proceed to make decisions based on this information. So you, you have to consider the probabilistic aspects of the, uh, of the situation in order, to, uh, in order to make these decisions. Then um, the next step after taking these inputs is to consider how one goes about implementing this. Um, can you know use you can use logical reasonings reasoning to uh, understand situations in context. Um, I've, I'm in the process of working with some colleagues to develop ontologies for situation awareness, and also one perhaps the least developed area is to combine these ontologies and logic with uncertainty reasoning, and the process whereby uncertainty is propagated through uh, the uh, situation awareness and decision-making process. So go to slide number two. So this is just a um, basic definition of situation awareness from the point of view of the Ensley and Garland definition. It's the perception of elements in the environment within a volume of space and time and space, the comprehension of their meaning, and the projection of their status in the near future. Now, it's interesting that uh, human situation awareness involves Projection. So you're all, you're thinking ahead. You're looking to the future. Um, in addition to just comprehending the current um, situation, um, and that of course is very important when one uh, when wants to determine how important the situation is and how uh, what decisions have to be made about the situation. Uh, situation awareness is the uh, second level of the JDL model, which is on the next slide, I believe, slide three. Yes. Here I've taken the JDL model, and actually the first few columns there, the, level, the name and process, are from the JDL model, and then I just compared it with the Ensley model uh, to show that uh, these two definitely have a correspondence, although remember that the Ensley model is a is a psychological model, whereas the JDL model is intended for, uh, you know, formal uh, formal systems and uh, automating situation awareness. The, uh, as you can see, the lowest level is the signal assessment. That's what the sensors detect and identify features. The next level above that is to take these raw features, these these pixels, these edges, these kinds of um, characteristics in the that one is, is sensing, and identify the the objects that are in uh, that are in the region of interest that are going to be contributing to the situation. At level two, you actually assess the situation, and that involves determining relationships between the objects, um, aggregating objects into groups, um, and uh, and then extracting the uh, the relevant uh, situation or situations that uh, 
are going to be of, of impact. And the, the third level, the, the highest level in this process, is the assessment of the impact, uh, evaluating um, what the uh, what the situation means and, and what what one uh, presumably can do about it. Uh, decision support also occurs here at the at the third level and higher levels, um, although decision decision support systems could, can act at earlier levels as well. Um, the JDL model has gone through a, number, a couple of revisions, and it's in the process now, I understand, of going to yet another one where they will start considering the processes involved rather than just identifying uh, the characteristics of the levels um, that uh, and presumably will lead to um, the uh, standards for interoperability of systems uh, making use of uh, this model. Uh, moving to the fourth slide. Now, the uh, the logical situation semantics, the logic of situation semantics. Uh, uh, in this logic, the situations are regarded as limited contexts for reasoning. Uh, in the Barwise notation, he used this uh, symbol there. Um, the, um, to represent the fact that a piece of information in a situation is, su is supported, a piece of information is supported by the situation. Um, the info there is just the information uh, entity. So the, um, that, that in the more, in more recent notations, um, such as in ICL and, and, uh, and others, they, they use a predicate for this that's uh, usually IST. So if you go to uh, the slides that uh, Pat Hayes um, uh, presented back in October, you'll see this is written a somewhat different way, which is the, uh, the more modern way. Um, the, um, the interesting thing about the Barwise approach is that um, he uses a lot of subsumption reasoning um, meaning that um, you look at situation classes and you reason based on one class uh, being subsumed by another. Or in his notation, he called this, uh, what did he call that, involves. This is uh, the term he used for it. But it's basically subsumption reasoning. Um, what's interesting about this is that it is very close to the kind of reasoning that is done with OWL especially LDL, description logic reasoning. The idea is that uh, you don't necessarily know exactly which situation you're in. You just know uh, characteristics about the situation. But that's good, that's good enough to make decisions, to, to make inferences, and to make decisions about the situation. So that's very important when you have only, partial, only partially in, uh, partial information, where some information is not yet available. Uh, and also when information is, is possibly unreliable. Um, another aspect of this is that situations are themselves perceived objects. So they are objects one can reason about. Um, this, is some, this is particularly interesting. Uh, remember that this came, uh, this idea came from the, uh, the JDL, the uh, Defense Laboratories. There they were concerned to a large extent with uh, military situations. And of course, uh, your perception of the situation isn't going to be the same as your opponent's perception of the situation. And moreover, both sides are busy trying those. 
when you understand how you came, how this came about, it's usually easier to uh, to do the uh, the melding and the reconciliation. Um, now on the fifth slide, it's the next one there. Just a little uh, slide showing some of the work that we have done. This is just a little piece of the ontology for situation awareness that uh, my colleagues and I are working on. Um, it, um, as you can see, has in the right at the top a situation with some characteristics. And one interesting aspect of it is that situation is an object, and therefore objects, and being an object, uh, one can have situations within other situations, and one can reason about uh, situations as perceived objects. So that's, that's the interesting idea there. But in addition, there's, there's goals. A uh, situation definitely has a goal. It has some reason for being um, discussed. And in, in the case of emergency response systems, the goal uh, of what you're trying to achieve is, is extremely important for determining relevance of uh, the uh, information that you're looking at and also relevance of the uh, situation. So you can see, notice there, there are links there. I don't know how easy it is to read those, but relevance is certainly an important aspect of, uh, of, situation, of the situation ontology. So uh, moving on to the next slide. The, um, and this is essentially the last slide. The, um, the semantic web is, is a wonderful tool, and, but it is based on formal logic, and so at first it might seem that it's, it's difficult to bring in uncertainty since everything one can assert in the uh, semantic web is, is simply a fact, it's either true or false, uh, has no ambiguity. Um, so in order to uh, start reasoning about the uh, uncertain information and um, unreliable information, one has to be able to introduce um, a kind of reasoning that, that can accept these concepts. So the uh, probabilistic reasoning is uh, one of the one effective way of doing this. Uh, more specifically, uh, Bayesian reasoning has been uh, has been used effectively for um, for many years, and particularly in the scientific community. And I've made a proposal, a very modest proposal at the moment, for uh, adding uncertainty to the semantic web by adding a layer above it with a, a Bayesian uh, reasoning a Bayesian reasoning layer with with um, um, and an infrastructure that can perform uh, Bayesian inference. Um, one thing I'm not proposing in this is for the semantic web to be generalized so that it uh, then becomes fuzzy. I, I'm only suggesting that a layer be added above it so that one, in those situations where you have uh, probabilistic, when you have a need for probabilistic reasoning and probabilistic statements, you can make precise statements about that. Um, the, um, in particular, one can use Bayesian networks or more generally uh, stochastic functions in, um, in reasoning. Uh, Bayesian networks are, of course, uh, a technique for introducing dependencies among um, the uh, probabilistic entities, you know, the random variables. So that uh, when you fuse, when you fuse the information, uh, you properly take into account the dependencies. Um, 
The uh, JDL model, in fact, is an information fusion model. It's concerned with the process of fusing or melding information from different sources. So it's, it's a fundamentally a, uh, concerned with the probabilistic process. Uh, and at the moment, there's, there's no standard way of expressing this. And this, this seems like a reasonable approach. But um, as I say, it's still just a, a proposal at this point. Hopefully, it'll eventually move into, uh, into more use. Um, the last slide is just a some a bibliography. So move to the last slide. I just listed some uh, papers, uh, and there are of course many references within those papers for um, uh, that contain more information about the concepts that I, I presented here, and uh, some of them also have associated. Uh, slide presentations and some are available um, in uh, PDF form. Okay, and uh, for those that are not, just uh, send me email and I, I can give you a, a copy. Okay, so are there any questions? Anyone raise their hand? Yes. Uh, I can see one from the person with the 703 area code ending in 3260. If you unmute yourself. Uh, okay, this is Terry. This is 703. Terry Jansen. Hi, Ken. I uh, met you before. We've come in, I've come and visited you and talked about your research. I just want to ask you a question. Uh, since we spoke last time, uh, Kathy Lasky, a professor George Mason, presented a paper uh, on a probabilistic first-order logic I was wondering if you and Kathy had met, and if you if you collaborated or shared notes or had discussions about the Bayesian and first order logic uh, combination that uh, you're both working on. I haven't had contact with her specifically, um, but I am I am very familiar with uh, with the basic area. There are a number of proposals that have come out for combining logic with um, Bayesian reasoning. Um, there's um, Bayesian logic. There's um, probabilistic relational models. Uh, there, it's a wide variety of techniques that have been uh, have been proposed. Uh, basically, all of these things uh, can be subsumed under the single notion of a stochastic function, due, I believe, to Kohler, and uh, the idea of the of the uh, Bayesian web is just to have a general framework for uh, expressing all of these rather than to be specific about um, any one of those um, any one of those languages so the idea is would be to support any of those okay um, yes on that note actually uh, this is Peter Yim I, I am happy to mention that uh, both Kathy Lasky and uh, her uh, colleague uh, Paulo da Costa or Paulo Costa uh, had become uh, ontologue members fairly recently, and yes, good. published and made an extension to our, uh, which they call PRL, uh, which Terry was mentioning. And I was, I mean, thinking of a few right away, and maybe one of these days we could get together and do a session on probabilistic and statistical. Uh, 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 Variabilities in in ontologies. Yes, yes, that that would be very nice. 
You know, I don't know how many on the line that actually attended the uh, first, uh, or, or I guess it was the third, uh, formal ontologies and information systems conference at uh, John Hopkins University uh, at the end of last year. But we started talking, you know, Kathy Lasky presented this work at that conference, or I think it was that one, or at the uh, ontologies and the intelligence community conference. Uh, yeah, but the, quite a few of us, us, us were there. I believe I remember, like uh, Doug Holmes, Pat Cassidy, uh, Steve Ray, uh, myself. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and the issue of of an ontology science of trying to get hold of of these various approaches and, and approaching it scientifically came up. And uh, I was wondering about your thoughts on trying to take a more scientific approach toward ontologies and probabilistic reasoning uh, and uh, if we could maybe advance the state of the art in that as, as a science at this point in time or if you think that that is, that is premature. Uh, what do you mean by scientific approach? Well, uh, you know, information theory, for example, uh, has become very formalized. Uh, a lot of work now is now going on in, in terms of vision research with neuroscience. I'm involved with the neuroscience group myself. Uh, we use uh, the scientific method. Uh, we do empirical assessments. We, we look at end users and see how well our techniques actually match up to the actual needs of the tradecraft they're doing. Uh, collecting, you know, scientifically valid results in the process. Uh, are we at a point now in uh, probabilistic reasoning in ontologies and in application of these areas where we have so many different good ideas that we should now start uh, using uh, some of, of a scientific approach to really kind of scientifically valid lessons learned about what works well, what doesn't work as well, and what best suits the user. Yes, I think that that's a great idea, and uh, definitely think we're reaching the point where we can do that. Uh, one interesting issue, however, behind, uh, behind that is that there is no, there's no really standard way of expressing uh, these probabilistic notions. I mean, if you look at if you look at research papers in, in science, you'll find various uh, uh, linguistic constructs that people use for expressing the um, you know their conclusions, um, and those are reasonably consistent. But it's not really formal ontology at this point. So when you read a scientific paper and you see the conclusion. Uh, you, you'll generally see some p-value, you know, and, and a few other sure. things like that. But what were the assumptions behind this? I mean, what are the dependencies? Those are all just in, written out in some natural language, not formal at all. I mean, without without ontologizing it, without getting without getting good annotations, uh, it's it's difficult to to start fusing information from various sources. Um, and you know it. You don't want to keep reusing, uh, keep uh, reinventing the wheel, right? If if somebody has already determined, you know, some result that's relevant to you, you'd like to be able to use it again. Oh yes. Um, 
So it would be very nice if we could get some standard notation so that this kind of activity can be, you know, posted in formal ways on the on the web in uh, in, in the semantic web specifically. Yeah. Well, I was thinking that perhaps the time has come when we could perhaps host a uh, a conference or a, a workshop or a seminar on this issue of trying to, to tie uh, this ontology and, and probabilistic reasoning and, and, and the like better to science than we've done in the past. Uh, does anybody, uh, do you and others agree with that idea of going toward a workshop in that direction, or do you think that that is a bad idea? Um, this is Rex. I, I was wondering if perhaps you've been aware of the uh, the Ontologue's ongoing series that's being moderated by Steve Ray on ontology evaluation. Yes, in fact, I did dial into that last time. That's why I'm thinking that that would be an excellent uh, uh, entree into this topic. Well, uh, I, think, I think this topic is is particularly important for the issue of emergency management and emergency response because one of the things that we definitely have to be able to do is to apply Bayesian inference guidelines for making probabilistic inferences based on incomplete information, and that needs to be done in a way that's checkable. Yeah, I think that's that's a good that's a good venue for this uh, for this issue, but it is a broader issue than just that. So yeah, there may there may be a, a possibility of having some uh, some workshop or meeting of some kind to try to bring the parties together. Well, like there the is a workshop at the International Semantic Web Conference, which unfortunately I've never succeeded in getting to. This is Michelle Raymond. Uh, I definitely think that there's some broader scope here than even just the, the ontology with Semantic Web and bringing in the stochastic um, process. The, uh, the Bayesian um, network structure itself, if we were to formalize um, the, the nouns, the verbs, the, the connection points within that, then we could uh, take a starting point for situational awareness. And the situational awareness, as you so aptly put, is itself an object or a node within that network, which may contain nodes. So I think that maybe before you get into the probabilistic reasoning, you might want to assess, uh, as Rex put, some of this information has different levels of trust on it, uh, different levels of, of, um, of uh, concrete information. So those types of tagging need to be put into it. And then some of the reasoning that can go on with that uh, gives you a, that's where you start to bring in the probabil probabilistic, what is the next step in the situation. So I'd, I'd like to kind of divorce it from the semantic web specifically and bring it more into a wider situational awareness. Yeah. Well, I, I think that actually uh, 
uh, Mitch Kilkar and Ken and, and Kathy Lasky and, and, and those have kind of divorced from strictly semantic web LDL. Is that right, Ken? Have I spoken out of line, or is that a, a true statement? Um, I mean, you're not, you're, really, not thinking, you're not thinking a, a specifically semantic web. You're thinking uh, the broader semantic technologies, uh, not necessarily yeah, LDL. Yeah, in fact, I mentioned ICL, which is definitely not part of the semantic web. That's that's on the continuum of ontologies. That's that's beyond even the common logic. So, uh, so it, yeah, I don't want to just limit it to semantic web, but on the other hand, you do need some standard notation, some some way of expressing this that is mutually agreed upon. Um, whether you call that the semantic web or you call that something else, I I don't I'm not really pretty agnostic. Just just so that there is a, a you know a common uh, language that one can use. Uh, this is Rex again. I was I was thinking that you might want to. Um, uh, we're getting close to the end here. Might want to uh, take that up with perhaps Steve Ray on and uh, an extension to the uh, ontology evaluation series. Can okay, you good. Here? I mean, either that, or we could consider sort of another thread that looks at sort of the uh, probabilistic reasoning nature uh, of ontologies, which I guess is slightly sort of the, starting to depart from uh, the evaluation and measurement. Uh, of course, I mean, the, we, we definitely want to ping Steve uh, and see what he thinks about it. Is Steve still online? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening with interest. Uh, I'm not opposed to it. If I think what would make sense in terms of the ontology evaluation uh, series is if someone wanted to try and summarize the evaluation aspects of the problem, because I do think there are a lot of dimensions to what you've been talking about here today, which are beyond just evaluation of ontologies. So it could be a place, I mean, I'm happy to volunteer a slot in the series to um, have someone speak about the evaluation aspects, and then that could be a springboard for a broader conversation if you think that's warranted. Yeah, that, that, that would be extremely interesting. Maybe we can bring Ken back, bring Kathy or Paolo in, and a couple of other people uh, that in, in, in the area and, and have sort of an uh, overall discussion before, and, and then maybe spin it off to another So uh, let me just jump in. This is Steve again. So where do we stand? Do we have a volunteer or a set of volunteers for an ontology evaluation talk? Uh, I could participate in that. I, I'm perfectly. Uh, I would definitely like to participate in it, of course. Okay. Okay. Who are all these voices? <laughs> I'm Ken. That, that, that was Ken. And this is you Terry. Want to make it like maybe a, a, a small panel. All right. Now, and this is going to be distinct from today's discussion because it's focusing on the evaluation aspect. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. I I at least understand it's going to be focused on evaluation. Okay. Yes, um, all right. Well, in that case, I'll, I'll probably offline then send you guys some email. Maybe we can drum up a uh, 
abstract or something, and then we can settle on a time as well. We can do that offline. I'll, I'll send emails to both Ken and Terry, okay? Okay, very good. Please, good. please, please include me as well, Michelle Raymond. Um, okay. But my interest is more from the, the front-loading side of the ontology and the data fusion aspect of it. So um, I believe that there's a lot of probabilistic reasoning that needs to go into which, as you form a common ontology, how do mm -hmm. you take the different silo on bring them together. And, and there's a lot of the, some of the Bayesian reasoning um, is very applicable along those lines as well. Okay. Again, I want to focus, make sure we're talking about how to evaluate or measure uh, right. ontology. Right. So, okay. Yeah. So I, I would feel I would probably be an, more of a, a, a par, uh, participating, you know, in the audience, from, but I want to bring that um, subject up that it, it kind of needs to be a precursor so that you have something to evaluate. All right. I will include you in the email, and we can settle this out then. That's fine. That sounds good. Uh, Peter Yim here. I will send you the contact uh, for uh, Kathy Lasky and, and Paolo Costa, who are doing work in the probability reasoning, our PR, our uh, work. And you're Alpha. suggesting I include them on this email as well? Yes. Okay. I also know Kathy very well and see her frequently, so I can mention it to her Okay. Uh, as well. Uh, this is Rex again. I'd like to kind of close up, if I can, Peter. Yes, sure. Oh, actually, okay. you, you have uh, uh, one more person uh, with his hands up. Oh. Okay. Just take that question to the person from sure. the 301 area code. This is Pat Cassidy. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, uh, on the question of scientific evaluation, uh, or uh, scientific ways of proceeding, <coughs> I, I, I think that this is very difficult because the um, scientific method uh, generally requires, well, I guess there's many ways of describing scientific, but the one I'm used to in the scientific experimental method is that you test the hypothesis by varying one or a very small number of variables and seeing what happens before and after uh, the variable has changed. Uh, typically, a person will take, uh, these days, when you, uh, a person will take like a 1,000, 2,000 node ontology, and someone else will take a different 1,000 or 2 node ontology, and they'll try to do something with it with one program, and someone will try to do it with another program, and then compare it, the sort of thing you did in Project Kalo. And, and you're, you're, you're comparing you're doing an experiment in which you have like 10,000 variables and, 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 uh, and a exponential number of interactions between those variables changing between two systems and then trying to come to a conclusion. It, it's really quite out of the question that that's not scientific and, and there's no way to draw any reasonable conclusions from that kind of experiment. So you can't compare whole systems. But what you can do is if two people take the same ontology and then change the tweak there, uh, reasoning system, you can you can do a scientific experiment that way. If you take a given uh, reasoning system, such as the DL reasoner, and uh, take make small changes in the ontology, keeping the reasoning system constant, you can also do experiments. That's that would be scientific. But but well, uh, certainly this, really this this is really what I was thinking. You know, when, when I mentioned that, 
is that I I can probably provide an unclassified ontology uh, with some very realistic uh, test data sets and really look at the hypothesis of whether we're making a difference in uh, analytic tradecraft or not. Uh, that kind of thing, you know. There is some debate, you know, among the community that the ontology approach is the wrong way to go. And so who says that? Well, I, I work in, and this is Terry, Terry Jansen again, and I work in the Intel community, and, and I have a lot of dissenting voices around me, a lot of people questioning uh, whether or not it will ever go anywhere. Uh, they were kind of burned by the AI days in the 80s, and they don't believe that the uh, ontology work, semantic web, semantic technology work we're doing now is any different than that was. Well, I, I think that you've, you've put your finger on the problem. A lot of people who think they know a lot about ontologies um, have information that's about 20 years out of date. Well, you're absolutely and, right. And I think, I think that's why I'm thinking that uh, uh, we can systematically go about changing that perception through uh, good science. Good science, and, yes. And that that might be the way that we convince uh, the skeptics that there is indeed uh, a very promising future, uh, maybe not this decade, but, but certainly in the future, for having machines take on some of the reasoning of the human uh, at a lower level to allow us to process the massive amounts of data we've got. Okay. And if I can, we're starting to run over, and I don't want to leave out the summary that Bob asked me to do. This is Rex again. I have a very recognizable voice. Um, in terms of emergency response systems and emergency response systems management, um, uh, from what we've heard, I'd, I'd like to ask if we could consider, well, besides the fact that I think that we've just barely scratched the surface and it would be nice to go into greater depth and have more more sessions, but we can take that up on a regular time, a uh, regular conference call. Uh, could we begin considering work on a white paper that encompasses, if we think of what, what's been put forth today as working papers that encompasses these working papers for specific focus areas with, with special attention to fundability so that we can, we can provide a way that this work can keep happening uh, so that people get paid for it so that the work in this area can produce tangible results. Among those results, I think high-quality ontologies for key areas like emergency response, for standards, for practices, for a service-oriented architecture registry repository of these things, um, the automation of communications between party, key parties at key times, and, and generally improvements in all areas of emergency response. I think an ontology just has a wealth of possibilities in terms of being able to bring value into this area and reduce the, um, the number of uh, deer-in-the-headlight moments that we get when we have, uh, you know, emergency incidents. Um, we just had one last week in the south, another train derailment with uh, – you know, a bunch of well-meaning local fire people pouring water on a bunch of tank cars that were on fire with hazardous materials in there without any clue of whether or not they were doing the right thing. They did it for an hour before somebody got them to stop it. You know, uh, you know, we need updating of liaisons, like Bob mentioned, and those can make a difference. And I think that, you know, perhaps 
Ontolog could serve as a platform as a third-party organization that doesn't have any interest in there and without any liability or warranty whatsoever could could on its site, you know, um, on, on, on strictly a volunteer basis, host a listing of, on, of uh, liaison people from various organizations who are open to talk to other people on organizations about that don't normally talk together to, to see if they can get together on things. I mean, um, we had an, an SOA uh, collaborative expedition workshop this week where the open group um, had a presentation. A lot of people don't particularly have good memories of the open group, but they've been doing fairly better lately. And the, the notion of having uh, the service-oriented architecture Reference model technical committee form a formal liaison with them was was um, was passed this week. Uh, I happen to be in that that technical committee, and so is Tom. And that's the kind of thing that 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 can be encouraged, and that you know having uh, perhaps later on building ontologies of uh, of companies and companies and standards organizations that can work together, uh, or you know. Is something that would be very helpful for forming more networks based in PetriNets. Uh, and the common operational picture that Michelle spoke of exists in several forms, and uh, it would be good to have a legend for these, you know, so you can tell which common operational picture you're you're working on. So an ontology of common operational pictures, whether it's DoD, DHS, HHS, etc and some understanding that we need to get a feedback mode for a common operational picture from the public viewpoint as well as the responder viewpoint. And then, you know, the Bayesian inference guidelines is the other thing that I wanted to, to suggest. And this this upcoming possible, you know, uh, extension of probabilistic reasoning into uh, ontology evaluation is excellent as far as I'm concerned. And with that... I was going to say on that point, I'm very close to uh, government and to funding sources, and I can tell you that there's a DARPA announcement uh, for a workshop now for urban reasoning and geospatial exploitation under Todd Hughes. It's called Urgent. I know Todd very well. Uh, this is being held. It's a BAA. The, the workshop is being held uh, with dialing number on, on Thursday, February 1, and it will uh, – be briefing the details of what they will be procuring, and Todd is very much a proponent of semantic technology and ontologies. Uh, certainly his reasoning, I'm sure, is based on his personal logic experiences, so members of this community might want to uh, attend, dial in, or, or attend in person, okay. those a kinds Todd, of things. A DARPA uh, BAA workshop on Todd from, by Todd? Todd Hughes. Hughes. It's, called, it's called Urgent. It stands for the uh, Urban Reasoning and Geospatial Exploitation Technology Urgent Program. Uh, the, the time is 8.30 to 2 p.m. on February 1st at DARPA. Actually, actually, it's at George Mason's uh, campus in Arlington next door to DARPA. Uh, uh, urban Reasoning and Geospatial Exploitation. Exploitation. Technology. So that will probably be a, a fairly good funding source for continued research in uh, situation awareness in the urban setting. Terrific. My battery's dying.
Um, I would like to ask one question. This is Toby Considine that drops from the, the, the sublime to the absurd quickly. Um, people who are interested in my standard, the OBIC standard, are fundamentally concrete people, you know. Let's turn on this actuator for this long. I believe very strongly that OBIC should be uh, one of the payloads where OBIC should be delivered into this world and ontologies are the way. Is there anybody who's been obsessing about this stuff for a long time who knows or can think of or identify the basic short readings that you would give to people to whom ontology is just, if you even say it, you've just identified yourself as weird. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, I can send you some stuff. This is Michelle. I'm on the OBIX committee. Are you, are you on the, have you moved on to it now? Good. Yes. Great. So that's good. Earlier, I just seem to have uh, uh, my, my local phone muted as well as the remote phone muted, and nothing happened. Michelle, would you mind copying me? This is Terry Jansen. I'd like to know more about Obix and uh, Danica connected to what uh, that's about. Okay. Um, I, that's probably not something that we can do within the time with the time frame of this conversation. Um, but let me uh, give me your email, and I will I will send you my. Um, yes, it's Terry. Phone. T-E-R-R-Y dot Jansen, posted on against your name on the, on the roster. Been, so if you click okay. on his name, you should see it. In fact, uh, Peter, this is Steve Ray, but I was going to suggest I was expecting you to jump in there and say, if people are sharing information that might be generally in from interesting, why don't they just put it on the wiki for this conference call? Absolutely. I mean, or, or put it on uh, – first of all, I mean, join the Ontolog Forum – Make a post so that the the rest of the community would know. I mean, something like I mean, what Todd Hughes is doing, uh, which I uh, obviously, except for Terry, we hardly know about, but, but it, which is very relevant. So make a post so that we can all learn about it and take advantage. But thank you very much for for mentioning that. Well, so sure, and I'll, and I'll post this announcement up there on the uh, wiki so it's there for everybody. Yep, terrific, great. That'll be the dial number and, and location and everything. Yeah, and, and stay tuned. We're going to do this again, I'm sure. Okay, very good. And I look forward to talking to you, Terry. Okay, good. Thanks. So, last word, Bob. Rex or Bob. Thank you all. I look forward to continued uh, participation. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. Thank you. And bye. Thanks, bye. everyone.